I don't know if that uh, reminds you of your summer attempts at finding church. I would just encourage you to find one if you're out of town during the summertime. But hence the challenge, uh, hence the series, why church? Why bother with church? And that's a question that so many people are dealing with today culturally. And so we wanted to unpack that for a few weeks. This is the wrap-up um, message in this three-part series. But we're going to look at um, fueling the vision today. And the passage of the morning is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 6 through 15. And uh, Curtis Kramer is going to be reading for us. Oh, Curtis. <laughs> anyway, Curtis was over there at the first service, and it, it took me about half an hour to introduce him so he could get there. You are awesome, man. Hey, let's stand and face the middle of the room. Curtis, when you're ready. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplied seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity result, will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Thanks so much. Curtis, you can have a seat. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor John posed the question near the end of the service, what if we were so committed to living out our faith with each other, to proclaiming the good news to the Magic Valley with a sense of urgency and passion that we really made a difference? And if you remember the response to that, all God's people said, hey, no, not really, but they at least some applauded. People were all on board. Last week, Chuck mentioned, what if we're committed enough to TFRC that we become like family here? We, we show up together, we care for one another, support one another, uh, express concern for, for one another. And there was a great response at the end of the service. I'll say all God's people said, amen, you know, and that people applauded and now it's my turn. What if you all gave more to the church? I see and hear that one hand. Hey, um, I want to talk about fueling the vision with your finances this morning. And uh, honestly, I'm excited to do this because uh, many of you grew up in the church. You've heard the giving routine since day one. Many of you are new to the church and have never heard the standards and expectations of, of giving. But listen, we'd all love to be part of something greater than ourselves, something that truly has an impact, uh, not only on what happens today and tomorrow, but for eternity. And, and that's what this three-part series has been about. Now, let me get this out of the way first. I talk money, you get tired, okay? That's the routine. 
There's a lot of people in this room suffering from something called, in development offices, they call it donor fatigue. You have been hit by, from all sides by any variety of topics, from your children to your friends' children to strangers' children uh, to teenagers to every cause. You name it, you've been hit. And the more wealth you have, the more often you are hit. It's called donor fatigue. But I want to try to put this topic in perspective with the cause that we serve today. And it's interesting, if you've already said, why bother with the church, you really don't care about what I'm about to say right now because it's two steps removed from where you're at. On the other hand, maybe God will touch you today and the Holy Spirit just uh, taps you on the shoulder and said, I'm in. Here's the bottom line. Financially fueling the vision of the church is a blend of two fundamental principles, obedience and opportunity. And I want to look at the obedience side of the, the equation first, briefly, because we need to s- establish what the, what's the biblical foundation for the topic in the first place, for creating this culture of generosity. The fundamental principle is simply this. God is the owner of all that we have, and we are the caretakers. All the way back to the beginning of the book in Genesis, God creates everything and gifts the Garden of Eden to Adam and to Eve and says, listen, this is yours. Steward it. You're my trustees. Look at those animals, the variety of animal life and plant life. It's yours. Take care of it. And Adam and Eve were the first stewards of all creation that God has given them. And the summary statement from Psalm 24 says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Quite frankly, that's the fundamental challenge of this topic. If we buy into that statement, which is repetitive throughout the Old Testament, we understand what the the concept of stewardship and and, uh, generosity is all about. See, although God gifts us and provides us all things, nothing is ours. It's just not ours. God owns everything, and we're responsible for how we treat it, what we do with it. See, owners have rights. Stewards have responsibilities. And so God entrusts us with all that he's given us to manage and then redistribute it in a way that honors him. That's a slice of the Bible. It's a big part of the ministry of Jesus and his teaching. Ron Blue, a financial expert in the church for many years, said this, stewardship is taking God's resources, which is time, talent, treasures, relationships, and influence, and using it for his purposes because everything I have has come from him. This is the point of departure in creating a culture of generosity. There's a second principle I wanted to just highlight again briefly. The Bible talks a lot about this, actually, and that is the tithe. Now, the tithe is the biblical expectation for people who believe. It was the Old Testament framework, first of all, for expressing generosity by God's people. All harvested crops, any increase in cattle, were subject to this tithe, let alone offerings. And so God instructed the Old Testament faith community to give a tithe, a tenth, because that 10% represented the first, the best, the most important of all they had. It was an expression of honor and glory and praise to God. You know what's fascinating is, um, I'll let you guess this, not out loud, but what would you guess the average American Christian gives to the church, again, per household? What percentage? I found this a little bit fascinating. It's, you have your number? 2.5%. 
Now, maybe that's high, maybe that's low, but let me give you context. During the Great Depression, it was 3.3%. Over the last 30 years, uh, giving to churches has gradually declined and continues to decline, creating a crisis for American Christianity. Oh yes, we need vision. We need a heart for people that are lost, that are found, but it's fueling the vision that's causing many churches to close their doors today. Here, here's a statement by uh, Dave Ramsey. We've been teaching financial peace for many, many years. It's a great program to help you uh, learn how to budget more effectively. Uh, Dave Ramsey says, tithing was created for our benefit. It's to teach us how to keep God first in our lives and how to be unselfish people. Unselfish people make better husbands, wives, friends, relatives, employees, and employers. God is trying to teach us how to prosper over time. This is what Malachi says, God's uh, uh, mouthpiece. He's, uh, they, they had stopped tithing early before, just a few hundred years before Jesus came. And he said, listen, test me on this one. Test me, says God. If you tithe, the windows of heaven will open up and you will be blessed beyond belief. Test me. It's one of the few places in the Old Testament God uses the language. And I heard it after the first service from a couple that came up and said, you know, we have given generously because of that passage and others, and God has never let us down. And I've yet to hear a story of someone who says, I took a risk financially for God, for the kingdom, and it was a really bad experience financially. If you recall a few years ago, we did something that was pretty outlandish. Uh, we had this good news challenge we went through for about 10 or 12 weeks, and um, one week we said, what if the entire congregation tithed? What would that be like? What could we do? And we lined up some not local nonprofits, uh, Magic Valley nonprofits in anticipation for that. Uh, Chuck and I, I remember, Chuck, we sat down and said, okay, we really believe in you. Okay, I want you to know that. But Chuck and I also said, what if this thing falls flat on its face? We had a plan B. I don't think we've ever shared that, Chuck. So that'll be our secret here today. But we didn't know what would happen. And so everyone tithes at TFRC for one day, and what happens? Over $80,000 came in. And we blessed six different nonprofits throughout the, non, throughout the Magic Valley with $10,000 apiece. If you do any nonprofit work, you understand what $10,000 does to a nonprofit organization. It was an incredible moment. We celebrated the moment. And those people express their gratitude to God through that giving. Here's the deal. For some of you this morning, it would be a great time to establish tithing as a goal. For others, it may be a great time to establish it as your new baseline. What can I give over and above? For some of us, it's not a question of how much we give. For some of us, it's a question of how much we keep. I was thinking this week, about a, uh, my first job, <clears throat> I've shared about it a couple times before, it was Uncle Jim's Tasty Twirl. You know, it wasn't DQ, it was on the wrong side of the tracks. It was a real tough part of town, quite honestly. And this will give it away. I, this may affect how you perceive my age, but minimum wage back then is what I got. It was $1.10. A buck ten. And so every two weeks, I got this amazing paycheck. I was a sophomore in high school. I got this amazing paycheck for um, 50 bucks. 
And I'll never forget one of the first times I took my paycheck home. My dad had to pick me up because it was a tough side of town. And so my dad said, hey, I got my, I, my first check. Hey, 50 bucks. And before you feel too bad about me, that, you know, five bucks could probably buy a dozen Big Macs back then. You know what I'm saying? 20 bucks bought a new house. <laughs> um, but my dad said, it's great you got your first paycheck. Uh, you're going to tithe off of that, aren't you? And tithe, I'm not a math wizard, but that's only five bucks. What's God going to do with my five bucks? I know what I could do with that five bucks. And I'll be honest with you, I wasn't overly spiritual about it. I wasn't thinking big picture. I was actually just afraid of my dad. And so my dad was the key authority figure. God wasn't at that point, but whatever dad said, I sold five bucks, five bucks. Of course, then I got a 10 cent raise. Now I was really confused at what that meant in terms of tithing. But my dad communicated early on the significance of giving to God what's his in the first place. And one of the things, parents, to think about is even as your kids are young, where does that value, uh, where is that value communicated? At what point in life do we begin to understand that it's all God's? And that he expects at least a portion, the least we can do, the least we can give. Now, it's interesting, and this will be the short version, that the New Testament doesn't necessarily negate tithing. There's two different perspectives. Number one, the New Testament really doesn't demand tithing like the Old Testament, but perhaps the New Testament assumes tithing of people who follow Jesus. And some folks use that as an excuse. Hey, Jesus didn't say anything about giving uh, to give nothing. Tithing's a regulation, no longer applies. Uh, how about this one? When I go to church, I'm committed. I'll, I'll give anything I find in my front left pocket. That's God's portion. Three pennies and some lint, usually, for most of us. But the New Testament gives us some insight concerning giving. The church is instructed to give. Individuals in the church are instructed to give weekly, regularly, habitually. Listen to this in 1 Corinthians 16. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Now, to a preacher, that sounds a little bit like tithing. But heavy emphasis on the regularly, on the weekly, and actually, Jesus' most profound teaching on finance and stewardship, took, and he, he takes the disciples specifically to this place. He sits across from where the people were coming to throw their money in the temple treasury. He intentionally sits those young men down and says, check this out. Watch this. And they sat there for a while, and they watched a variety of socioeconomic types coming and bringing their offerings obediently, faithfully to God's temple treasury. But then... Quite obviously, by the clothing that she wore, and who knows, maybe some divine insight, a poor widow comes up to that same uh, basket, that same box, and drops in, you know the story, two small coins. It's squat from a kingdom perspective. You're not building any temples with two coins. You're not sending any missionaries overseas with two coins. And then Jesus said this, you watch this woman do what she does because she gave more than anyone else you've just watched step up to the table. Point being this, Jesus said, you want to follow me, it's going to cost and it's going to be about sacrifice. 
He raises the bar literally in every other stipulation and regulation from the Old Testament to the New. And this is another one. Yes, Paul says in Corinthians, give regularly on the first day of the week. Jesus says, give till it hurts. I'm just saying, when's the last time we've given something personally where it really, really cost us? Where we gave to the kingdom. Jesus taught, as in every other facet of following him, commitment implies sacrifice. So the New Testament, while not expressively uh, teaching tithing, it teaches regular giving and then sacrificial giving. See, financially fueling the church's vision is a part of, it's an act of obedience. I want to take a, just a, a sidestep for a moment because when you think about giving, even this morning, you had an opportunity to give, right? We do it every week. It's like clockwork. It's like, the, it's like a greeting. It's like standing to read for Scripture. Um, a culture of generosity is developed by giving with the right attitude. And what's the attitude of giving? Everyone, one, two, three. Yeah, joy, joy. Kind of, kind of joy. I get it. I get it. It's no holy moment for me either when the bag goes by. Maybe it should be. Listen to this from the passage that Curtis read earlier. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves what? A cheerful giver. And you know this, the Greek word for cheerful is hilaris, from which we get the word hilarious. It also implies readiness. It's an interesting uh, dual term. It's, it's both hilarious and cheerful and joyful and ready. So when I give, or when, when I approach these moments, I'm ready to give. When I see need, I'm ready to give, and I give joyfully. Here, let me try an experiment. Anyone know what this is? It's two-handled for a reason. And I want you to think about this this morning. Um, and actually, I was grateful. Somebody put a penny in here between the services. So um, I'm not saying they were Dutch, but I'm just saying. <laughs> Never mind. No more jokes. Um, I want you to think about as this bag went by you, you may have handled it at one point. And I want you to think back to the attitude with which you passed the bag. Just recall that for a minute. Monumental moment in your week. Life-changing moment. Joy-filled moment. Or you're thinking, I don't even remember passing the bag. And maybe they missed your row, I don't know. But the fact is, this is the symbol of the attitude with which Paul describes our giving. When we give, and this is what makes it tough. I get it, I get it, I get it. Every week we do the same thing. And maybe if we had you come up one at a time and announced your gift up here as you brought it up, maybe we'd change some things. Um, we'll keep that, take that under advisement. Understand this, the, the attitude of giving is joy. You know that. When you give, God blesses you in ways you can't imagine. And the underlying motivation for giving is joy. But beneath that, just beneath that, is gratitude to a God who's done everything for us, 
who sent his son to redeem us, to suffer and die on a cross, to come back from the dead, to prepare a place in heaven, rent free for eternity. And, and so when we give, how do we recapture that attitude? I'm gonna leave that with you. I'll leave it with you. How do you maybe capture for the first time or recapture the joy of your generosity? If you gave this morning, praise God for that. And I hope God blesses you as a result of that. I also love what somebody said. The Lord loves a cheerful giver, but the Lord also takes money from a grouch. I'll let you determine which side of that equation you sit on. But beside the obedience factor, I wanna talk about opportunities. A culture of generosity creates countless opportunities to make a difference. When we become generous in our giving to the kingdom, giving to the church, TFRC specifically, it shifts from us asking, how will my finances affect me into how will my finances impact others? And I know where you're at today. I mean, I don't know literally. I don't know your bank accounts. But a lot of us are struggling financially today. Or we're struggling with the next big purchase, saying, hey, if that next big purchase is going to be so meaningful, will bring joy to my life, fulfillment to my life, just like the last 10 big purchases did. It's how we live our lives as American consumers. Let's face it. Generosity Kingdom generosity begins to shift that into asking the question, how will what I give help someone else? A culture of generosity generates personal blessings. Look at this, from, again, from the passage of the day. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. See, stewardship's cause and effect is that when you're generous, God blesses you. And it's not a get-rich scheme, let me clarify. It's not a dollar-for-dollar investment. But when we're generous, God blesses us in a variety of ways and creates even more opportunities for us to bless others. I am so grateful for many of you with means who bless so many people with your wealth. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than receive. You believe that? For the most part. I I think parents of little kids in the room, there's a a key statement that is in that previous passage. You know, we have a couple of two-ish-year-old grandkids running around right now, and and often they're looking at the same toys and wanting to do the same stuff. And and, uh, what I would really like to share with them one day is, as two-year-olds, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Two-year-olds, do you understand this? Basically, I'm saying, share your toys. I don't know that some of us have gotten beyond that point, though, where we love what we collect, we love what we consume. We're defined in some ways by those kinds of things. But when we start giving it away, God begins to bless. And then, secondly, a culture of generosity generates an ever-widening impact. Again, here's where we're talking about the opportunity of of, uh, giving. Paul says in the passage of the day, you'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. 
He goes on to say, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you've proven yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. See, there's two implications summarized uh, in this culture of generosity. First, when we're generous, we impact the lives of other people and even possibly eternities of the people and the causes we're contributing to. You may go to carne asada, something as you know, basic as that, and you're contributing to a young man or a young woman's exposure to the gospel, perhaps for the first time. And what if they come back and say, I made a commitment to follow Jesus at, at Lake Hume, at Hume Lake, and because of that, it's changing the entire trajectory of my life, and all you were doing was buying something that bought you a burrito. That's the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is about burritos and tacos. <laughs> and pizza and McNuggets. Secondly, when we're generous, we inspire others to thank God, inspire others to check out this faith. People drive by this place and we've heard the story repeatedly. What goes on here? Is it cultic? Probably not. But there's a group of people here that believe enough in their faith, believe enough in their church that they fuel the vision. And so when we launch a new ministry, when we launch a new, a new program, when we add another staff person, when we build a building, groups from the community see that. In fact, we had a group here yesterday in the other building in the social hall. Uh, quite honestly, I'm not even sure who they were. I'm assuming they rented it. But it was some health-related meeting but I thought, how cool is that? You have a group of people from the community that were willing to share facilities with people, but along the way, at least one person's gonna ask the question, I wonder what really goes on here and why these people have committed this much to this campus. See, the community takes note that TFRC takes seriously a role in the community and it takes seriously our call to commitment for the kingdom. I love the fact we just launched a ministry to the homeless a couple of years ago. That's all because of vision and then finances that fuel the vision. Here's a, maybe a summary statement for you to just chew on for a moment. When I give generously, first it blesses God, and that's where we need to begin. Second, it blesses others. And finally, last but not least, but maybe least, it blesses me. And in so many tangible ways here, from feeding the hungry to clothing those less fortunate. We impact daily lives. We put kids in beds across the entire Magic Valley as foundational, as fundamental, as sad as that seems. We're the ones providing beds for them. We put food on the shelves for hundreds of families. We provide support groups for hundreds of people. There are college students giving their lives to Jesus, following Jesus for the first time, and our vision is fueled their vision is fueled by finance. You want to go to Southwest Asia and hear the Aka story again? We have the potential to impact an entire people group across all of Southeast Asia, a children's village in Malawi, the homeless. We've created a preschool and after-school programs to bring stability and structure and the good news of Jesus to boys and girls. Listen, I'm not just promoting the TFRC cause here. I'm saying you fueled the vision already. I am so grateful 
that 40 years ago, a small group of folks, they bought this really dilapidated building downtown. You had to see it to believe it. Swamp coolers for air conditioning. Uh, But it was ours, the first building. I am so grateful that those people had the vision to do something more. And then not only that, they fueled the vision with their financial resources in such a way that many of you sit here this morning on their shoulders. Listen, vision will never be the issue here at TFRC. That will rarely be the vision, uh, the, the, the limit, uh, limiting factor for any church. What is the limiting factor is fueling the vision financially. And for 40 years, folks, you've continued to do that. And I praise God for that, for you. But we're at a hinge, a turning point, financially, culturally. And we want to alert you to that as well. We do ministry today with over 500 kids and teens. Uh, The vision is to reach more and more of those kids. Yesterday, you know, some of you that don't have kids, again, preschool, elementary school, this may be difficult to relate to. We had a build it Lego party here. Whoop, whoop, you know. Over 300 people here. Kids, young parents, 25 volunteers assisted with that. They're both our kids, church kids. There are also a lot of kids here and parents from the community. TFRC's children's ministry with the new building we've talked about has the potential to reach literally thousands of kids. Uh, Pastor John and I had a great debate last week. I say the new facility has the potential to impact thousands of kids. Pastor John said it has the potential to impact tens of thousands of kids. And so we argued about which was which. We spend, real, spend serious time on issues like that, significant issues. Finally, we realized it was a matter of life stage. <laughs> you know, it's only gonna be thousands for me, maybe 10,000 for John. But regardless, regardless, um, I don't know if you're concerned about the culture, the direction of the culture, maybe not. But what better way to invest in the future of our country, the future of our community, the future of the kingdom of heaven here on earth than pouring with every resource we possibly can into our kids and young families. The ministry of TFRC is as significant a mission field opportunity as any of our international mission fields today. See, we live in a post-Christian, in some cases, anti-Christian culture. And more and more people we meet have never heard the story of Jesus, <laughs> let alone own a Bible. I hope that doesn't shock you, but we live in the most amazing missional opportunity in our lifetime. And listen, people are hungry for the kind of Christ-centered community that many of us, quite frankly, have become indifferent to. Been there, done that. Listen, folks, it's not just about obedience here. It's about opportunity. And this particular ministry has an unprecedented opportunity to impact this entire valley first and who knows about the world. And I want to challenge you this morning to reflect on the level of your financial contribution here and and raise it up a notch to fuel the vision 
For 40 years, groups of people have been really committed to seeing the vision come into fulfillment, come at literally, literally into plain view here. And now it's your turn. It's your turn. I want to challenge you to do one of four things this morning. I want to be real practical. We'll call this our culture of generosity challenge. First this, if you don't give, if you've never given, how about starting? Develop a pattern. That New Testament describes this pattern of regular giving. Maybe begin looking at an amount that you can begin to give. Again, it doesn't matter. My dad told me five bucks doesn't matter. And I still believe that. Start somewhere. Or start at a percentage. That's more the biblical template. But if you don't give, begin to contribute to the vision. Fuel the vision. So when you hear those kids coming back from Hume and you hear the story of life change, you know you were a part of that. Secondly, perhaps raise your level of giving by at least 1%. Calculate that out. What would 1% more mean, regardless of whatever amount you give? At least 1%. Third, begin giving even when you're not attending church. Here's the reality. If people don't attend church, people don't give. That's the rule. There may be a few exceptions to the rule. Understand what's happening now to attendance patterns, regular church attendance being once a month. You understand the equation? The slippery slope of church closure, 80 to 85% of churches plateaued and declining are in part a result of that. And what I'm going to challenge you with today is begin giving even when you're not here. And in the bulletin, I don't want to take a lot of time on this at all. In the bulletin, you see the new giving platforms. There's new giving options. There's a giving app called Tithely. There's PayPal. There's other forms. Half of American Christians now give away uh, from the Sunday morning offering. Credit, you name it. But we've got to shift our whole thinking around that. For better or for worse, right or wrong, it's the new normal. Consider that even when you're not here. And fourth, this is the commercial, the obvious one, the slam dunk for me. If you haven't pledged or committed to contributing to the building project, you'll have an opportunity to do something there, my friends, that's never been done in the history of the Magic Valley, minister to thousands of kids. And that's no exaggeration. It's amazing. I appreciate everyone sticking around for this. We lost somebody in the first service, lost family that wasn't really crazy about the topic of the day. Um, and that's okay. We hunted them down. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, see, this is a, a blend of obedience and opportunity. And when we take giving to the next level, whatever that may be for each of us as individuals or households, first and foremost, and don't forget this, you're going to bless God. You are so honoring God. And then, of course, you're going to bless people, this ever-widening group of people. In our church's case, literally thousands of people, thousands of kids. I'm not kidding. And then last and not least, you'll be blessed as well. That sounds like a good deal to me, since God owns it all anyway. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, th this one's so tough because it, it, it just seems like everyone asks for money, including you. 
But I would pray this morning, God, that you would renew our commitment to your kingdom's cause, uh, to the cause specifically of TFRC for the sake of our discussion today. And Lord, will you touch people and may your Holy Spirit prompt people to say, I'm taking the next step. It's not a matter of the amount, it's a matter of the participation. It's a matter of we want to bless you by fueling the vision with our finances. God, we thank you so much for limitless vision here and limitless opportunity. God, help us to be faithful. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, listen, help us fuel the vision of the kingdom of God. And go in peace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the Father, the fellowship of his spirit be with you every day this week, now and forevermore. And all God's people said...